Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined by our friend, freelance writer, TJ Hafer. Hello, hello. And we also welcome back our friend, also a freelance writer, Ian Boudreau. Hey, everybody. We're still early in the year, so I think we're still in the window where a show like this is topical, but also it's a good moment to take a look around and try to figure out what we're stoked to cover later this year. Uh, wish John Bolding were going to be with us because uh, he, I wanted to hit, hear him go off on this giant superstar destroyer that Fantasy Flight is selling people. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. So we're going to be talking about the strategy games that we are most looking forward to, and war games. Uh, we're pretty ecumenical in our tastes here at Three Moves Ahead. Uh, that we are most looking forward to this year. What are the what are the sort of tentpole releases for us? Well, it's a tiny tent, I suppose, but nevertheless, what are we what are we building our year around? Uh, Ian, I saw you wrote an entire article about this over at the War Gamer. Uh, so why don't we start with you? What are some of the games you are most excited to be playing later this year? Well, we've got, um, there's a couple pretty, um, interesting projects on the war game side of things. I think, um, it, we've got a sequel to Panzer Corps coming up this year, uh, in theory. Um, and that's, I mean, more Panzer Corps. Um, the, um, the ones that I was more, um, kind of excited about were a project called Grand Tactician, the Civil War, um, which looks to be a highly detailed uh, sort of tactical level um, look at some of the uh, uh, battles of the Civil War. Um, yeah, I get a and, Scourge of War vibe from that. Uh, yeah. Or maybe a Sid, Sid's Gettysburg uh, type vibe from it. It does. And the, the, um, I, I just like the fidelity of the uh, simulation when you get down to the ground. Um, there's, you know, your, your units kind of have to be in, um, in bugle uh, sound range uh, in order for uh, orders to be effectively uh, communicated from the command to the, to the line units. Uh, sort of like we discussed when we talked about Armored Brigade, there's kind of an uh, uh, advantage to having some proximity, and it, it, it makes sense i suppose historically to have you know couriers taking uh, orders from your command staff to down to, through the battalions and companies so that that looks uh, uh, pretty amazing and uh, you know i'm a sucker for a nicely drawn map and man grand tactician has that in spades um and uh, let's see the i guess what i had uh, really wanted to highlight here was a project called the general staff wargaming system and that's by uh, a uh, scientist, a uh, computer scientist, uh, Dr. Ezra Sidron, who's been working in uh, pathfinding AI and things like that for the past uh, quite a Gosh, I don't want to uh, presume, but it's been, he's been a, a force in the field for, for quite a while. And I think you know, people like DARPA have uh, used his work. Okay. So, um, so yeah. that's, a, that's a nerdy enough name that it sounds like something I'd be into. Uh, certainly, <laughs> like, staff school sounds like it'd be something cool to attend. Mm -hmm. uh, probably is less cool than it sounds. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've always sort of envisioned it being, like, just, all right, let's, let's go professionally nerd out over logistics. Uh, but what is the general staff wargaming system like what is, what is the idea is this a game is this uh is this an engine uh what what is the thing that you that you're looking forward to screwing around with here so it's kind of all of those things there's um it's a suite of software and uh he's already got for kickstarter backers uh, they're already able to kind of mess around with uh the map editor module uh and the uh the army creator module which lets you uh import or design uh, historical or new uh, armies. And I think this runs basically from the Napoleonics through the American Civil War and sort of that uh, that time period. Um, but uh, it, it looks, I haven't had a chance to get my hands on it myself, but there's another very attractive uh, system for importing maps, which you can kind of just very simply indicate, okay, well, this is a river, this is a, a, a cut, this is a forest. Um, and and then using either historical maps or topographic maps, whichever you you prefer, uh, and then you're able to um, uh, you know design armies uh, just to spec, you know, to, so that you can sort of set up these historical battles that you've never seen fought before. 
And then he's releasing a an actual war game to go along with it, and that has two components to it as well. There's a powerful simulation side uh, that's I think going to be using some of you know the machine learning and, uh, and AI systems that he's spent his uh, you know academic career studying and perfecting, uh, as well as what he calls a beer and skittles Kriegspiel mode, which I think is going to be the more um, the more traditional war game sort of experience. Although um, his projects in the past have always had uh, you know their very own feel to them, so um, I think uh, I think that's going to be the part that I, that where I kind of jump in. But I do want to mess around with those the 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 creation suite as well. I think that looks great. Yeah, I've, I've never actually played Kriegspiel, like the proper, uh, you know, professional training uh, war game. And that sort of seems like a major lapse on, on my part, given its importance in the history of the hobby and, and, and also like the development of like modern military doctrine. But I'm very curious what a game that sort of uses that as its point of departure, what it's that, that is sort of undergirded by sort of thrusting in that general direction. I'm very curious what kind of war game would result from that. Um, I am sort of intrigued by certain like things I found on, on uh, the website over there about just detailed considerations of well what is the best way to lay out and do calculations on a war game map uh a lot of a lot of sacred cows being slaughtered uh in in the making of this system very much so i I mean i think his uh i'm trying to the the name escapes me of the uh unified well his previous projects kind of dumped all the the rules out before as well i mean even you know doing the uh the unthinkable and and dispensing with NATO counters and things like that. I think those are back for the, for the war, the general staff wargaming system, but yeah, you know, stripping it down to the floorboards of the 19th century uh, and then seeing if you can kind of follow another alternate evolutionary path to a different kind of modern war game. I think uh, whatever it's going to be, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I love the um, aesthetic that does that does seem to be present in a lot of the early screenshots from this, which is suggestive of the those um, like U.S. Army military atlas books that you can sometimes find. Very much, uh, which it, like always look like they would be cool as hell to play a war game on, and this sort of looks like a more simplified version of those maps, um, and it's pretty damn attractive. So I'm always here for a war game sort of tackling things from, from, from a new direction. Uh, and the, the, the hard part for me is it's with the exception of this one website, it seems hard to find stuff like the, basically the guy's blog. Uh, it seems hard to find info about this game. It's, uh, uh, there's, I think there's an interview with him on, um, Grog heads and there's the Kickstarter and that's about as much information as I've been able to dig up on it on my own. But yeah, I mean the, the, I mean, it's just attractive. And I was the kid of course, who read, you know, the Lord of the Rings and was flipping back to the map that Tolkien drew, drew for it, uh, you know, at the time. So just to kind of track, I absolutely love that kind of thing. So yeah, that aesthetic yeah. really appeals to me a lot and the level of detail that you are, uh, afforded apparently in the, uh, uh army editor, I mean, uh, you can, I, I, it looks to me as though, and I can't say this for sure, that you, you kind of are granted as much or as little control as you kind of want. So that looks good too. TJ, what about, uh, what about you? What, what are your, uh, sort of lookouts for, for this year? Well, the biggest one that's imminent and we're, we're kind of going to do a show at least on the setting on it. So I won't dwell on it for, uh, too long, but Total War Three Kingdoms um, is definitely probably the main thing I have my eye on in the short term. Uh, I've been watching a lot of their their developer releases. I got to play around with the campaign for a very brief time recently, and I think that uh, it it's it's cracking open the Total War formula in some interesting ways in terms of how it treats characters, how it it uh, kind of mixes up the diplomatic stuff, um, character loyalty with like generals being able to 
switch sides and be bribed away to different factions. And like if a faction gets destroyed, they the characters will still stick around and they can be employed by someone else. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see definitely how this grand uh, kind of conflict focused uh, Total War type game meshes with all of this character driven drama that's it's even distinct i'd say from something like crusader kings um it's it's very much more of a you can tell that they were they're trying to appeal to dynasty warriors fans at the same time like Mm -hmm. they're trying to have these larger than life characters from the romance of the three kingdoms and make them have be like a really big freaking deal uh and have like personalities that cause them to act how people who have been, you know, playing Dynasty Warriors for <laughs> decades <laughs> would expect them to react and stuff like that. So um yeah, that's that's the big up very recent or very soon to come release that I'm looking forward to most. They have two ways to play, correct? Creative Assembly said yeah. that you can either play with the crazy Dynasty Warriors over the top, you know, Romance of the Three Kingdoms kind of, you know, drama and sort of the melding of history and myth a bit um, or you can say okay that's dumb and turn all that stuff off but i i feel like after playing the total warhammers i really want to see how they do this because i think that would make it uh, a really interesting game to have a dynasty warriors type lubu show up on a uh, total war battlefield now that makes complete sense after having yeah. messed around with uh, with total warhammer so it should be fun yeah, and the one thing that's a little bit uh a little bit disappointing about that that I actually got to ask him when we demoed the campaign is that the the records mode, which is like the more historical mode, uh it it adjusts how generals work in battle. So they're gonna be more like a traditional total war general where they don't have abilities that can allow them to take on an entire regiment and they actually have a bodyguard and stuff like that. But it doesn't actually change like the meta narrative of the campaign at all. So the campaign is still going to kind of follow the romance, which I'm sure you will hear Brian on our upcoming three kingdoms episode, talk to you all about how the romance of the three kingdoms is not exactly an accurate portrayal of what happened historically. Uh, (laughs) There's, there's some, there's some small biases at work there. So I'm curious to see, uh, how long it'll take for somebody to come out with like a Lube was actually an asshole mod, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking sixteen minutes probably. Yeah, yeah, if they're not working on it already. I am so curious about this idea of basically having two different game modes exist alongside each other in in that game because uh, I am just. I don't know. To me, it sounds a little bit like dividing the child, mm-hmm. uh, as it were. And I would just be because every total, like so many total war games, not not everyone, but so many total war games struggle to do one thing truly brilliantly, right? And that's 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 a feature of the series. That is something that you kind of just have to make your make your peace with. Uh, if you, if you're into that series, it is exceedingly rare that you're going to get a Total War game that really fires on all cylinders, where you've got a great strategy mode, where you've got great, like, dynastic politics and diplomacy, and also then the battles rule. And that's hard enough, and I'm a little bit leery of this idea that they're making a Three Kingdoms Total War that's going to split the difference between those who want the more Koei style or Dynasty Warrior style uh, approach to the setting and then people who just want a kind of classic Total War game set in China, which is what people have been sort of clamoring for basically since Shogun. Uh, I... I mean, more power to them, and I and I, I hope both game modes are good. But my strong suspicion is it will kind of become clear that there's like kind of the real game, and then there's uh, yeah. what's that delightful phrase of yours, uh, TJ? Professional mod, yeah, uh, within the same game. Yeah, that's kind of my suspicion about it too. We didn't get to play records mode at all, so I should say that's 
not based on anything other than my speculation, but I do kind of feel like romance mode is the game they wanted to make and records mode is something that they are going to kind of throw in for the people who want it. But the logic's not hard to track, right? I mean, this is a game, this is the next mainline, I guess, uh, Total War title. We're not going to talk about Thrones of Britannia right now. I don't think that one, that seems like a one-off. But uh, this is the one that, and this is the one that's kind of t- taking the series forward. And I, I imagine they're, they're thinking, well, <clears throat> we have our, the people that we picked up with Total War Warhammer. And then there's the, everybody who played Rome 2 and Attila and skipped those ones because I'm not going to play a, a game that has elves in it. And, it, you know, they're trying to make this a point where both of those um, player bases have something. And now that's a totally different question from whether or not either of those modes is good because they're splitting that effort. But um, I definitely understand where they're coming from on it. Yeah. I've, I've also increasingly come to suspect that like total war Warhammer works as well as it does because they basically made the different campaigns unfold almost orthogonally toward to each other right that like if you are playing a vampire counts game you're playing a very different game than the wood elves are playing not just in terms of like your faction dynamics but just in terms of the events that are going to happen over the course of this campaign that you're going to give a shit about uh just the the arc of your playthrough of the game and I am curious if we see that approach carried over into uh, Three Kingdoms where you basically have different stories that are unfolding depending on which side you're playing as opposed to you are trying to tell your own story, your own history of the Three Kingdoms uh, over the course of this game as I think a lot of the Koei games do attempt to, to make possible where... Each time you start, things can unfold in a very different way. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm curious how all of that is going to shake out. Uh, so real quick here, um, John Bolding isn't here. He's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the tabletop stuff he's looking forward to this year. But he did warn us that he was going to be pretty tedious on this podcast <laughs> because all of his answers for things he was looking forward to in 2019 is the Super Star Destroyer for Star Wars Armada from Fantasy Flight Games. <laughs> Have you guys seen this fucking thing? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's nuts. It, it's absolutely nuts. It's like, what, 24 inches long or something it's like that? Real dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like a $160 right. one miniature. It might actually be $200. One miniature expansion to Armada, which is... Um, so Fantasy Flight made X-Wing, which is hugely popular, but then they made one for capital ships called Armada, which I haven't played. Uh, and I suspect I would really like it because I'm me and I love capital ships. I love going broadside for broadside and all that shit. So so th- give me that in a Star Wars <laughs> game, please. Um, but at the same time... This seems like one of those, uh, you know, OJ's art that <laughs> it exists because at on some level people do just want a big fuck off Star Destroyer <laughs> yeah. to like park on the middle of the game table. <laughs> and Was it, like, is it supposed to be actual size? Because I I know that's always been an issue with Star Wars miniatures games. Is that some of the ships in Star Wars are just like arbitrarily large in the lore? And okay, well, <laughs> I don't know. TJ, what are you what are you asking? Because <laughs> well, I, I'm wondering is Star if the Wars reason consistent. No, the reason they made it that big was it just to be like we're going to make a giant fucking star destroyer? Or did somebody at the studio go like, okay, well, if we were going to make a super star destroyer that was lore accurate scale related to these minis we already have. How big would that be? I'm just curious what what angle that came from. So this is they've got a comparison shot here of it next to an Imperial class, an Imperial two class star destroyer, and what I assume is a Victory class star destroyer. And those scales look pretty right. Uh, okay. That every so I think the the 
Super Star Destroyer is eight kilometers long in the lore. And I believe the Imperial 2 class is like three kilometers long. And it does look like you can fit three (laughs) Imperial Star Destroyers inside, like, you know, in a row next to that thing. So in terms of that scale, it's fine. What I'm curious about is how that's going to interact with the scale of, say, uh, like, Mon Calamari cruisers and stuff like like yeah. to a degree every you're right every Star Wars miniature series runs into this problem of scale because unfortunately Star Wars what appears in the first movie Tie Fighters X Wings Y Wings and the Death Star <laughs> like that's like so from the from the jump the sense of scale and the shit you want to play with in this universe is completely out of whack. Uh, and I think that's happening probably a bit here uh, as well. But I'm also just really curious about how do you play with this freaking thing? Like, it's 24 inches long. Like, is it just you plant it in the middle of the table and basically it's like a – it might as well be a, sta- a space station. It's just kind of a stationary – ass kicker for the entire for the entire match i have no idea what it maneuvers like i want to know who's the guy who buys this thing i mean this is not the beloved player i can't imagine at the shop right like the person who owns this thing has to be a giant asshole (laughs) they're gonna need yeah well they're gonna need like a freaking like the bank's novel player of games where they have a giant floor space that's just set up entirely for playing star wars <laughs> armada or something like with you know bleachers <laughs> like that's who i yeah. who i imagine actually using this thing yeah i mean you no i think you're you're both right like the person who shows up to like the tournament day with the super super star destroyer it's like being that really rich imperial guard player in 40k <laughs> back in the day right. where it's like oh yeah with my buy points and you open up your freaking like like travel chest uh-huh. of first-rate imperial armored vehicles and begin laying it all out there. There's there's got Gosh. to be that element. Here's the problem, though. It's like the kid that shows up to the pog tournament with a brass pog that's half an inch thick. Like that, it, you know. All right, fine. It's legal, but why did you like you spent money on this thing? What what did you? But here's the other problem. the The other answer to your question, Ian, is it's me. I would buy right. it. Like, I really want this. I, I mean, <laughs> look at it. It's so yeah. big. And <laughs> it is it is such a super star destroyer. Uh, and it's not just... You, you could have the, the Star Dreadnought Command prototype, which is like the cheapest uh, version of the ship. But I wonder, like, is the Lusankia in in that box somewhere uh, from, from Michael Stackpole's beloved X-Wing series? Who knows? Iron Fist could be. Uh, and of course, you know, the king of them all, the executor. So the problem here is that I suspect at this point in Armada's life, those who are left who are still like deeply engaged with this game, they're already in. You know what I mean? Like they like Yeah, yeah. How do I refresh this game? Like what 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 is left to conquer in this? Oh, it's the Super Star Destroyer? Sign me up. Uh but I'm actually the the thing that I am just curious about more than just the um sheer size and spectacle of this thing. Because this thing would eat up my dining room table. Like I'm looking at it, I'm doing the math, and it's like that thing would be huge on my dining room table, and it will be soon. Uh <laughs> but I'm really curious about how scenario design works around this thing. I am just deeply curious how this is integrated with Star Wars Armada. Like what <laughs> like is there anything fun to do with this beyond roll a ridiculous number of dice? At what point does a miniature become terrain? Yeah. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah, I mean what like what I'm not familiar enough with the rules to know how, you know, you decide what it's doing in a turn. Like do you have basically, you know, several hundred banks of um laser cannons that you can aim individually or i mean do you how does this it's just it's not only going to be huge it's going to take up no matter what they do it's going to take up so much time to get through a single turn with this well thing. it does sort of look like the buy points for this thing are so prohibitive that a lot of scenarios are basically going to be 
it, like it, honestly, it looks like what they might have made here is ogre, but for Star Wars. Um, okay. Which right. hey, that could be that could be pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so that's coming out soon, uh, and I am extremely curious how all this uh, is going to come together. And I'm very, as you can tell, um, even though I pretend to have divorced Star Wars long ago, uh, back during the prequel trilogy. Um, I still know the specs on this thing by heart. And <laughs> that part of me, the part of me that's still like, well, I sure hope it has the 120 turbo laser batteries in the forward. The part of me who knows that, like, may still really need and require this thing. Um, Dismissive as I was of it. I mean, I we uh, visited some uh, family over the holidays and uh, my uh, partner's... Uh, nephew had he's I think he's ten, uh, but they've apparently re-released the uh, the Millennium Falcon, uh, the same toy set that they had in I guess the Sears catalog back when the original mm-hmm. series came out, and I saw that thing on the floor that he had completely abandoned and had no interest in whatsoever, and realized that I was internally losing my shit yeah. because I I never got to have that thing when I was a kid and I wanted it very badly. So I, I was I was upset that this young lad was not giving it the proper respect. So you know, I do understand the need for Star Wars related plastic. Yeah, as, as Jason Kapalka wrote ages and ages ago for his review of the original Dark Forces in computer gaming world, uh, the review kind of ended it began and ended in the same place, which is well, it's Star Wars, isn't it? And <laughs> that's I think kind of you, you either identify with that sentiment. Uh, or, or you don't. In terms of, like, is there anything that you are sort of looking forward to with a mixture of dread and anticipation? He said, considering Phoenix Point. Um, yeah. Because that is, that is where I'm at with this game. Uh, yeah. Phoenix Point, I think one of my big problems with this game is... And this maybe this this probably does make me a little bit shallow, but I do not much care for the aesthetics of this game mm. and the degree to which it is it seems like very conventional like bug monster monster design meets yeah. a you know a, a modern XCOM type game, um, even if it is from. Uh, Julian Gallup, I am a little bit nervous about whether or not this game is going to be sufficiently evocative of anything to keep me invested. Yeah, that's kind of my been my turnoff with it as well. It's, I mean, I think Enemy Unknown and XCOM 2 struck a really good balance between being kind of this graphic, really readable sort of... Um, comic bookish feel but also it had some menace to it it had some uh you know some creepiness to it it didn't just seem like you know goofy aliens coming to blow up our stuff uh whereas yeah phoenix pointed it's i mean it, it's kind of bleak and i don't know it's it's yeah it doesn't have like a strong um kind of hook to to the art style from what I've seen so far. Yeah. And like, I guess my feeling has been like, it is, you're right, TJ saying that it's, it's bleaker, but at the same time we did have that kind of, okay, here's the new XCOM look. And every time I've looked at Phoenix point, I'm kind of left thinking, yeah, we're doing that again. Huh? I mean, cause there's a lot of, it just does seem kind of derivative. I mean, uh, which is strange because they also did chaos reborn, which was vibrant and weird and, uh, big, just all, uh, splashes of color everywhere. So I was kind of surprised that Phoenix Point's just a little drab. I think for me, the thing that this thing probably lives and dies by the most is is there going to be a an interesting strategic game here? Uh, because I think if there's one thing that the new that new school XCOM does not really have that the old one did is the sense of you fighting an actual like global war against yeah. an alien menace. Like that is the skin 
on XCOM and XCOM 2, but it unfolds in kind of a series of like regularly scheduled missions, right? Like the 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 idea of the world of of the Geoscape, that's just a wrapper uh for a mission loading menu. And I don't know that I've seen I still don't feel like I know enough about Phoenix Point's um like strategic layer. But if that is more like old school XCOM, then I would forgive an awful lot in terms of the tactical game not being like. And by by no means does the game look ugly. It just doesn't look. It looks good but unexciting. If that makes sense. Uh, if that is still, if that is coupled to a really cool strategic layer, uh, where you are facing a lot of trade offs about where and when you're going to take your fights, uh, what fights you might have to sacrifice, then the calculation changes a little bit. And then I am kind of interested again because the prescriptive way that XCOM and certainly XCOM 2 unfold has gotten a little bit tired for me. How do you guys feel about them adding that uh, sort of VATSY um, first-person shooting element to it? where you're kind of, you can sort of fine tune skill shots and you're doing that sort of with your mouse cursor, the way that you would. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, fallout three, I suppose. Yeah. I like that. I like, I like anything that takes a high, higher level, uh, kind of an isometric game and brings you down to the level of the troops mm-hmm. and kind of lets you, I mean, XCOM new school XCOM already does that with, you know, the kill cams. Um, so I guess the, the real difference here is that it's actually giving you sort of a skill based advantage for, for doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. I, you know, I every, every once in a while, I'll still manually take control of a trebuchet in total war, <laughs> just That's... fire off projectiles manually, oh which God. is their version of this. So it's, it's a feature I forget about a lot. Uh, the, the total war trebuchet thing. And I figure this will probably be a feature I forget about a lot. Uh, but it, you know, maybe I'll do it every once in a while just for the fun of it. God, TJ, I'd forgotten about that feature. And then yeah. I just remembered like <laughs> manning the field artillery and follow the samurai uh-huh. and like, doing shot by shot oh that felt good yeah it's it still in warhammer i think oh too, yeah you even. can like, you get to you can fly as the goblin hang glider bombers i'm getting the i can't remember the in lore name yeah, but yeah right. that was a blast i think here i mean what it reminds me of is a system i really like in valkyria chronicles right yeah. where you have the place you're aiming and then you kind of your error bars uh and that I think what that is really good at generating is a sense of suspense to each shot. Because then it's not just beyond... The cool thing about a system like that is you often feel like you're kind of torn between the sure thing chip damage, or at least the high probability chip damage that you can do, Mm -hmm. versus a totally makeable kill shot that could also be a wild whiff yeah uh and i kind of i'm kind of always there for for a system like that because uh, because even if basically you're, there's still just the numbers going on under the hood uh giving me that sense of agency giving me that sense that there's actual shot travel in the game i don't know it, for some reason it makes a difference doesn't it it feels different than a die roll i think so and I, that's one of the things that i think um you know, new XCOM kind of it, it it looks good enough that you feel like these are objects in a real space, but you're really talking about counters and die rolls. And because the game has a certain you know real world look to it, when you whiff a shotgun blast from two squares away, it's enraging because you know it looks like he should have hit that. But um, you know, adding this, I think. Uh, Maybe we'll uh, take the sting of that a little bit away. Relatedly, so we're not gonna. We are not skipping Xenonauts this time. We basically like, <laughs> like three moves ahead, and I can look. I blame myself, but also at no point 
did I I asked many times, hey, are people interested in xenonauts? And usually the answer is kind of crickets. I'm 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 gonna put that it's not just my sin here, it's Troy's, it's Rowan, it's all of you. Let let he who is without indifference to the original Xenonauts uh cast the first stone. But Xenonauts too. Uh Certainly for me, the thing I guess I'm looking for is something that is that is a little more reminiscent of the original XCOM or uh, that that holy text, Jagged Alliance 2. <laughs> yes. And I look at Xenonauts 2, and I'm like, is it you? Could, could you be the tactics game I seek? Because Xenonauts 1, I think what put me off is it was sort of releasing as this counterpoint to new XCOM, right? It was, it, and even if the, the game was not meant to be framed that way, XCOM was new, it was playable, it was fast, it was easy, it was awesome. It was going to be very hard to pull me away from that. At this point, I'm kind of once again back in that place of, as I just said, I want a bigger strategy layer. I want something that's a little more of a attrition-based grind where I'm not just building a gang of superheroes yeah. that are going to like run every mission and kick ass, but like instead something that's a little bit more like um you guys ever see the big red one? Yes. Yeah. You remember how like it's basically the story of like the four veterans who just survive every single fucking battle that the first infantry division fights. And then there's the fact that like all the new recruits who join the squad over the course of the movie end up probably getting killed or wounded uh, before the end. And at a certain point, like I think during the the campaign in Italy, they basically admit they developed this fatalism about the entire thing, where it's like, well, we're we're the good troops. We're, we're, we're the crack shots. We're the experts. Rookies are here to go, like, draw fire, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that is an experience I am kind of, looking for at this point the whole like the classic XCOM recon by fire right where it's like man I think something's out in that field I'm not sending sergeant so and so out there with the with his X-Men mar- marksmanship I'm not doing that but this this new recruit um let's just see what's out there and I kind of want that game and I think yeah. Xenonauts 2 might be might be that game well and it's interesting cuz the way Firaxis has tried to tackle that is by giving you incentives to make reckless decisions with your superhero veterans with, you know, you know, timed objectives for additional rewards and things like that. Um, But yeah, it's, I guess it's a difficult balance to strike because it's, it would be very easy to design a game that works exactly like, you know, XCOM, new XCOM, but then, you know, it's the attrition rate is high enough that you can tank an entire campaign, uh, you know, 20 hours in, which isn't a whole lot of fun. And I think that really comes down to lack of decisions you can make on the strategic level to mitigate that. Um, Then a game that, that focused more on, I'm trying to think like darkest dungeon probably does the best job of it, of recent games. Although darkest dungeon, there's really no fail state. You can you can just keep trying forever, and so that's kind of how they get around it. The fail state is your will. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically, decision. I can't do this anymore. I know, I know a lot of people who love Darkest Dungeon, and I know like one or two people who have finished Darkest Dungeon. I that's uh, like, yeah, I love yeah. it. And then there's also, I cannot ever send another party on a series of rebuilding missions yeah. through the fucking. The haunted forest or uh-huh. the craggy depths or whatever the hell they are. Like, I can't do it. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like that. they need to figure out a way to build a framework around this assumption of a certain me- amount of attrition to where, you know, I'm still doing well. You know, I, lo- I lost some rookies, but the, the game has some f- sort of feedback mechanism to let you know, are you taking so many losses that your campaign is going to be in danger if you have another mission like this, or, you know, is this kind of, you're at a point of kind of acceptable losses, like maybe some kind of a, uh, uh, brigade morale meter that, that, you know, as long as you keep it around the center, you're kind of going to be okay. If you start getting really a lot of losses, it'll, it'll drop lower 
rather than just kind of being surprised by the fact that, oh, you know, I was not cautious enough with my resources and now I'm deep into this campaign and I'm going to have to realize at this point that I have to start over, which is something that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like um, one of the things that appeal that I that I miss from the original XCOM is how indifferent uh, the game sort of felt to yeah. you, rather than I think the new XCOM, which is it's fun, but the game always the new ones you can tell that they want to show you the next thing, and um, and I think that uh, Xenonauts gave me that sort of Wild West feeling again, where it's like oh no, the game doesn't care that you're here; you just have to you know make your own way and do as well as you can. Um, if you get to the next thing, you you made it, but it wasn't because it's the next set piece or anything. Uh, so that's it's kind of the opposite problem uh, from the like. Could we get a just a I don't know what what would do for a, a fail state just to make sure that you don't have that terrible feeling of oh this campaign isn't winnable and hasn't been winnable for an hour. I don't know. Maybe there could be some sort of. <laughs> system the ai could use to just mercy kill you when you got to a point where uh you know it, it just yeah. wasn't going to go any further yeah that's that's the thing right is like i don't mind being like i think that it is fun to go down fighting up to a point but there's also a point where you're in a terminal failure spiral and the game just needs to end quickly at that point or give you clear unambiguous signs that you do not have to see this through to the end. Mm. Um, and I think XCOM solution to that was basically it would be, tell you in so many words that you were so badly off the power curve that you basically needed to restart. But even that you would limp on for way longer than was fun. Uh, oh, well you've lost another squad. Why don't you send this crew of rookies out? But in the meantime, here is a tier three, tier four alien that you've never seen before and has, you know, your crappy rookies can't hit a damn thing. They have low hit points. You know, this thing is an actual space monster. Good luck. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the, I, the things I want from a game like Xenonauts are very contradictory um nevertheless i am interested in playing a game that will let me try sorry i'm a little distracted right now because like we are in the middle of this um windstorm right now we we've had we had oh, a no. snow squall hit earlier uh that was just like it went from being perfectly clear outside to being complete whiteout conditions uh it was so sudden like you heard people screaming in the street oh my goodness uh yeah, no, because it was like, it was fine, it was fine, it was fine, and then, like, whipping 45, 50 mile an hour winds uh, was just, like, blinding snow. Uh, and now the snow is mostly gone, but this building is just being pounded uh, by these winds, and I can hear my own windows, like, buckling and flexing. Um, with every gust. And at moments like that, you have to think about, like, this building stood for over a century it's fine <laughs> these windows have seen worse we're all good uh but at the same time it does kind of feel like winter is pounding on the window uh trying trying to get in um but yeah so i suppose that those cover my things where i'm like sort of nervously anticipating i'm curious <sighs> if other like again turning back to you guys some yeah i'm, I'm sure there are things that you are nervous about <sighs> I mean, I think my other big one is probably Imperator Rome um, mm. in that I'm confident Imperator Rome will eventually be a good game. I'm, I'm not 100% confident yet that it's going to be a good game on release. We may be dealing with, with somewhat of a Stellaris situation. Granted, I haven't played a ton of it yet, um, but it... I, it, it's it's we've talked about this before the unenviable par position of paradox development studio where any new game they put out is going to be compared to the games that they currently have out that have like 13 or 14 expansions already mm -hmm. and years of polishing and bug fixing and redoing entire systems arguable polishing sometimes yeah 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 <laughs> like that's um, the other that's the other secret sauce that paradox brings we're gonna yeah. keep fucking with this thing until you're kind of glad we sent it out to pasture <laughs> we're just gonna be like you know what no we need yeah. u5 now i'm sorry yeah yeah 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I really am looking forward to it, but I find that I'm not looking forward to it as much as on paper I should be given what kind of game it is and given it's set in the era that an era that I really enjoy. Um, and I think that's good. Like, I really think that the proper way to approach Imperator is probably with neutral to lowered expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, I mean, if if Rowan were on here, we could talk all about how the expectations to Stellaris affected the actual reception of Stellaris pretty significantly. Um, And uh, yeah, it's 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 weird. Like it's it's like somebody telling me that uh, they're going to take me out like to my favorite restaurant for my birthday or something. And I, I like I just I don't feel anything. I don't feel like this burning fire. Like I have to play Imperator the way I did during like the EU four press cycle. Uh, you know, all everything indicates that I should like that I should be chomping at the bit for it, and I just kind of have sort of a eh, oh yeah, that's coming later this year. Yeah, kind of feeling about it. So I'm interested to see how it does and whether it's going to sort of follow along in the paradox model since this will be the first big game that they've released um since the uh sort of changeover in leadership at paradox interactive so um i don't know if this will reflect a new philosophy about you know monetization and the way that they're going forward i know that they've kind of spoken a little bit about um thinking about doing different well they've been looking at and this isn't to say that they're going to be incorporating anything like this but they've been looking at free-to-play models and and different ways rather than you know looking at crusader kings 2's uh dlc offerings and coming up with a number something like fourteen hundred dollars for the whole thing at list price so um so i don't know I'm, i'm curious to see what they do with this but like you tj i don't really feel like any kind of intense um attraction to it but i'm definitely curious it's weird i think the like honestly the last time a paradox game made me feel that way was eu4 and that was because i had i had a magical like Mm -hmm. play session experience that also indicated to me oh this might be they have figured out their playability and usability problems and this is just the smoothest experience i've ever had playing one of these games and then i couldn't wait I, I, i was just dying to play this thing for ages um I'm a little concerned that you have been hands-on with this thing and you're not sold yet. Um, well, I mean, the, the the asterisk to that is that I did not get to play any given campaign long enough to really do what I would normally do in a Paradox game where I'm like, I'm going to settle in. I'm going to read through every menu. I'm going to plot multiple generations ahead of what's going to happen with this senatorial family. Like it was, it's the the weird thing about when you go to a hands-on press event, it's like, okay, I've got to get this much footage of this for my video preview. And I've got to make sure that I understand how all these systems work so I can write about them. Like it's, it's generally not an experience of, I'm just going to sit down and play this as if I were playing it to have fun. So maybe when they actually, you know, get us preview or review code, uh, my tune on that will totally change. But that's kind of where I am right now. Um, for games I'm a little leery about, uh, yeah. Steel Division 2. Yeah, yeah there we go. Is, uh, I can feel that coming. Man, I, I cannot wait to play this game, but I'm scared that it's... Uh, well, I, I just have concerns, I guess. Um, first off, it's taking... Uh, a game I really like, Steel Division 2, Steel Division, uh, which it did need a little bit of shepherding to get it to a really good point, I think. But it's adding a massive dynamic strategic campaign layer um, and uh, a few new modes. I think, you know, what they're saying about the new modes, I think it's uh, Conquest. Um, uh, let me just double check. I think it's Conquest, right? Uh a, yes, a conquest mode where you've kind of got that moving uh, front line. And rather than sort of, okay, well, you're winning if you have 50% plus one of overall map control. Uh, it's going to be based on certain strategic points. Um, a little bit like if you think of uh, Company of Heroes or something. But you won't 
be gaining resources from it. It's just the more flags that are in your zone of control, the faster your enemy's combativeness will tick down. So all of that stuff seems really good. But on the other hand, Eugen's uh, had uh, some issues this past year, uh, mostly with um, I think just about half of the developer force uh, was on, was on strike uh, about a year ago, um, and so they're down below half their strength right now. From yeah, like from where they were, I think when they made uh, the new active war game, active aggression, I think, and from where they were where they were when they made Steel Division, yeah, I think they are below half of the headcount of what they had. Um, yeah, the other. Thing that emerged, uh, yeah. So a PC Gamer article uh, says that uh, the studio was down to 21 uh, from 50 people. Uh, so, and that was prior to this most recent round of layoffs, which uh, members of the Video Game Workers Union of France were arguing that uh, the most recent wave of firings, which happened December 19th, were kind of retribution for mm-hmm. the strike from last year. And we also got some details about what people were being paid. Uh, we're like in, including people with multiple years' experience uh, in like mid-level positions being paid around like twenty-four, twenty-five thousand uh, dollars U.S. Uh, for for an annual salary, which <laughs> that's video game is... journalist money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and not and not good like that. Right, and that is literally unethical. Yeah, and and so I you hear things like that, and that was what was really troubling to me. There is the fact that when the original strike action happened, a lot of it felt like it was about fun, like. It was about fine print details of uh, leave time and contractual obligations. It did, you know what I mean? It, it seemed like one of those things where there was room for ambiguity mm-hmm. in terms of what was going down between workers at Eugen and uh, management. And then you hear a number like $25,000 a year uh, for someone with, uh, you know, two years experience, uh, you know, working, doing that for, for their annual salary. And that kind of made me hit the brakes and go like, well, wait, what, what is going on over there? Uh, because I'm not sure, I, I am hard pressed to, like, to name a place in the United States where that's a decent living wage. Oh, yeah. um, and I sure don't think it's such a place would exist in in France, which is a pretty expensive, uh, a pretty high cost of living country for the most part. Yeah. So uh, all those things together, uh, it makes me wonder how on earth this game is going to come out this year at all. And if it does, then, you know, I mean, what is it going to look like? So. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't have any special information on um, the state of things at Eugen, but uh, it's an, the points you just brought up, Rob. I mean, it's enough to for, to be of significant concern for the uh, for the state of this game and the and its you know future. So yeah, exactly, exactly, and uh, and obviously, it's I am certain it is difficult to make. Basically, they're war games, right? They're pretty damn close to being war games. They're real-time mm-hmm. uh, war game-inspired, uh, you know, tac- real-time tactics games. And I am certain that it's hard to make games like that at this level of quality, this level of production, like polish. Um, but at the same time, if the solution is, yeah, we just pay people starvation wages, uh, that's a yeah. pretty <laughs> shitty. That is a shitty solution. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and it's it's a solution that makes me feel like complicit and gross in like buying yeah. a game like that. Uh, so that's that's where it gets that's that's where it gets really murky. To say nothing of the fact that like they're really swinging for the fences in terms of what they're trying to offer with the dynamic campaign and all this stuff sounds cool, but that. That was all going to be hard to pull off, and now if you've got labor unrest and mm-hmm. a badly compensated and increasingly unmotivated workforce, I'm just curious what you get uh, at the end of it. Which is a shame because around the three moves ahead, uh, you know, Discord 
it is the year of Steel Division. This was the year we all sort of uh, realized, damn, we, we love this game. Holy shit. Uh, and it's kind of eclipsed everything else. So I, I hope they do the right thing. I hope they figure this stuff out. Um, I, I hope the workers involved uh, get an equitable and just settlement. Uh, and we will continue to follow that as it unfolds. But at this point, there are so many signs of concern around this game. Uh, that it is, yes, one of the things I've probably paid the closest attention to. And I'm also kind of like biting my knuckles here, wondering where this thing is going to land. Well, I'm hoping, I'm one, I'm also wondering if Bannerlord is going to finally land, because <laughs> that's my other big uh, watching, I've been watching for a long time. Bannerlord. Uh, Hold on yeah, there. I, I'm, I'm a big Mountain Blade Warband I, fan, and... Oh no, TJ, it's a Mountain Blade game. <laughs> I was like, Bannerlord, that sounds yeah. familiar. It's a strategy <laughs> game. You need oh, armies. Like, oh no. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, you're, man. you're not a Mountain Blade guy? I love Mountain Blade, but I also have to accept that Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord went out for a pack of cigarettes like a decade ago and is not coming home. Like it's they're still posting dev diaries. They still love me, Rob. No release date. TJ. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes coming home soon. It'll be fine. Sometimes a small and ambitious team has the best idea for a game. And if they can deliver that vision, it will be magic. Hey, look, Kenji came out this past year. So that you know, actually, good point. Uh I wonder if we should cover that. Somebody, somebody on the Through Z Discord the other day uh, described it as, well, it's actually basically an RTS that you play from like a single character perspective. And uh, hearing that like kind of broke my brain a little bit, yeah. but also got me more curious than ever to play it. Because uh, it looks like an MMO. Uh, but... Instead, you're building like castles and warbands and shit around you. So maybe, um, may- maybe it, it is achievable. Maybe we should take a look at that game, uh, TJ, which actually exists here in the real. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Too. My yeah, my brother's been playing a lot of Kenshi, so I might might uh, might have to give that a spin. Damn, when did Bannerlord start looking so good? Yeah, they they yeah, started dropping I mean, E3 <laughs> trailers and things uh, the past couple of years, and I mean, it's been it looks ridiculously impressive, especially if you've gotten used to the original Mountain Blade Warband. I mean, yeah, 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 looking a little rough these days. I'm glad that they apparently still have Warband money sitting around. That's enough to continue paying them <laughs> to make Bannerlord this many years later. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. So, in terms of... Okay, just real quick, I'm going to just bring it up. Uh, Tropico 6 is under new management. Uh, it's no longer a Heimemont game. Heimemont is now a Paradox, and they're making uh, Surviving Mars. I don't know if they have another project, but that's that's what they're busy with. I played Tropico 6 at E3. It felt very much like a Tropico game in kind of the, the bad ways. I'm like, mm. Yeah, 5 a, annoyed me a lot. Just I think I think that had to do with the transition to console more than anything else. But also the formula seems so rote yeah. at this point. It is just it is difficult to get excited by a Tropico game at this point. And I feel like perhaps this new studio, I forget who's making it, but I don't know, felt uh, Limbic Entertainment. I don't know, maybe there was a sense that you had to be obligated to show that you could make the same Tropical game you always loved, but playing it, I was just... You know, it's weird. Like The things you encounter, like Tropico 3, Tropico 4, the uh, sort of vaguely like salsa music uh, playing in the background, the cool tropical setting, the, uh, you know... (laughs) The the ethnically stereotyped, but never nevertheless, uh, <laughs> I don't know, weirdly charming at first idea of it being kind of a just chill, uh, <laughs> harmlessly inept banana. Yeah, it's Republic. this really kind of comedy banana yeah, Republic game. Yeah. All that stuff felt okay ages ago, but man, it's Tropico Six. <laughs> There's so many of these games now. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of funny because it's like it's one joke, really. Yeah, and, the, and it's yeah. six games later. You know? Yep. 
And and the the thing that kind of bums me out about that is the the sort of framework that they have of this city builder that you are navigating a society through different eras of history where you're going to face different internal and external problems. Like if they took that formula and just branched out with it, I think that could be kind of an awesome subgenre. really is, you know, there's, there's tons of places you could go with that. You could be like a free city in the Holy Roman empire. Uh, you know, you could, yeah. you could, yeah, the, there's, it's, it's a very cool idea, but when you keep, telling the same joke with it 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 really i don't know why i would play the new one versus the ones that i already own what we need is the xenonauts version of tropico which i think would be <laughs> naomi klein presents tropico which would be this pointed interrogation of u.s neoliberal policy in uh, south american economies well and that that's the other this is this is the weird thing right like tropico it's okay to trade on like ethnic stereotypes but it needs to and it can make vague references to the history of like cold war politics and interventionism in uh latin america and central america and the uh caribbean and bahamas it can it can do all of that but like it can't actually it can't actually say anything heaven heaven forbid and it can't really even seriously contemplate these things because the minute tropico begins to get too literal like the sheer grossness of that conceit is going to begin to hit home. You can't play that game if it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, like I mean, some people would, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but you don't make a game for those folks. Uh, and, no. and and I think that's the problem is like increasingly, I think Tropico Six has become a game for people who are just cool with those stereotypes, who are just cool with kind of that lazy and vague understanding of. Uh, the politics of like Latin American and uh, you know near Atlantic uh, countries. Um, I think on the Latin America is a land of contrasts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think on the flip side, I have no choice but to be interested in Anno eighteen hundred. Um, oh sure. You know I think that's a. That's an interesting era. I am I am keen to I'm keen to play that. Um I one one thing I have not kept up on is anyone heard anything about the um Iron Harvest game? Oh yeah. It looks really cool. It's like uh, the, but- the, the it's like based on the art from Scythe, right? It's like the art it's like company yeah. it's like Company of Heroes, but it's Scythe. that artist, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks really cool. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to play it or like see any like serious gameplay breakdown of it. So it's I funny. Don't know. Well, Scythe right winds up looking amazing based on it's all this really great 1920s art style of you know, sort of steampunk but agrarian. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're thinking you're going to get this mech combat game, and it's actually kind of a <laughs> it's, it's a Euro, game. It's that, a Euro Harvest game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, like you guys, I think it looks amazing. It is trading on aesthetic, and it is, yeah, Company of Heroes or Men of War Assault Squad, maybe. Yeah. Um, but man, I, again, just having been burned a couple of times between Tropico, uh, I think. Uh, what am I thinking of? Um, there was another uh, RTS, a World War II RTS that that made the jump to console, which this is doing. Oh. It's coming out on Xbox and PS4. I'm real nervous about uh, playing a uh, RTS that has controller support. I mean, it can be done well. Tooth and tail pulled it off, I think. But that's but, a very particular kind of design approach, too. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, if you... Aesthetics, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally sold on it. I think it's I, yeah, and here's the other thing. If, if it basically is just, hey, it's Company of Heroes, but it's Scythe. Uh, I've been thinking increasingly lately of like I could use another Company of Heroes game. It's been long enough. Um, it's it's been ages since Ardan Offensive. I am ready for someone to come and and pick up that crown. Um, and it does not seem like Relic is going to be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> not not yeah. after God of War three, I don't think. No, no. And have we heard anything about that new Age of Empires? There's been literally nothing said about it since that. They announced that it exists, as far as I know. 
Yeah, that. <laughs> hmm. So I, I mean, I think that originally the release date that Wikipedia had for it was 2018, and that's come and gone without a whisper of a whisper about it. So I, I don't even know if we can cross our fingers for this year or not. Yeah, I know Fraser was uh, when when they did that PC gamer draft the games that are coming out this year thing. He seems pretty convinced that we're going to see Total Warhammer three. Um, but the the blog post update Creative Assembly just put out today said that the fantasy team is still in pre production. So I don't think that's super likely either. Jeez. Oh man, we we haven't heard anything about the definitive editions of Age of Empires either. Were they going to do a an EO2, they were going to do the whole series? Oh wow, okay. Yeah, and yeah. then they started with Age of Empires one, and I don't think it went over well because Age of Empires one is not that good a game. It's not. I, it it held up better than I thought it was going to. I actually did. Oh, a, did you? Yeah, I actually I did a review on it, and it's. It's like it def it holds up better than you would expect an RTS that that's that's that old and that's that far behind the curve to hold up. But yeah, it's it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it looked and played brilliantly as like a good looking modern yeah. recreation of that game. But the game that's being recreated doesn't. There's just not that much to it. Yeah. 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 And it, good God, the usability of that like. The pathfinding is so dumb in that game. All yeah. the things you like, <laughs> things you have forgotten about and have forgotten how annoying they are. You now have to like, oh, you actually have to like, yeah, wow, you really have to give these guys commands to like thread between these buildings, yep. or they're just going to completely fail. Uh, so yeah, hmm, hmm. I think that's maybe the other thing is I'm looking for. I at least I give us Age of Empires two definitive edition. Just do that, yeah, and I'll be happy. Yeah, good modern Let, map editor. I'll be happy as a clam. Yeah, let Relic make 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 an Age of Empires, uh, please. Just let them have their shot too. Uh, but I, I do. You cowards. Yeah, <laughs> Microsoft <laughs> release. Yeah. So I guess we will uh, we'll we'll see as as far as that goes. But I think that is probably a decent place to leave things. Uh, as far as, is there anything else that we we didn't bring up that you, that you think we should be shouting out for twenty nineteen? I do want to shout out Burden of Command. Uh, that was the first uh, game that I oh, wrote yeah. about, uh, for Waypoint. Uh, I'm looking forward. To, they, uh, I think they had initially set a release date by uh, end of 2018, but they pushed that back. So I'm not sure um, exactly where they are, but uh, I'm, I definitely will be following along uh, on the development of that because that I, I'm still excited by the concept oh, yeah. of uh, trying to create a leadership RPG in kind of the auspices of a war game. So uh, that'll be one that I'm going to keep my eye on. I think my only other shout out is probably Age of Wonders Planetfall. Um, I'm going to go see that uh, towards the end of February. Um, I haven't really been a huge Age of Wonders guys, guy previously, but it's it's something that's on my radar, definitely. All right. Well, I think uh, we, we will see what this year brings. And hopefully everything we just talked about turns out to be awesome. And next year finds us discussing the surprise hit. That was Age of Empires 4 uh, from Relic. Relic's, ba- Relic's back, baby. Game they, hired on, just like, they hired yeah. on all the people from UGen that left. and uh... Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And they're having a grand old time uh, together <laughs> on, a, on a farm in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Through his head is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at 3movesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, 3 Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3 Moves Ahead. Until then, for TJ, for Ian, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.